God in prayer. Father, as we consider all the terrible judgments that are pronounced upon the wicked, we recognize that but for Your grace, we would be counted in that number lost and without hope. But Father, we recognize that You have given us of Your Spirit and that by Your Word we have been born again to a new life. And we ask, Father, that as we come to Your Word this evening that You would open our hearts and minds to what is there in Your Word. that we might learn those things that you have for us there. And that we might go from this place of both hearing your word and singing your praises and receiving the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to live lives this week seeking to honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter, And the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. 
So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. I titled my sermon, Two Cups. And one of those cups we find right here in this passage in Matthew. And the other cup we find in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, where Paul speaks of the cup of blessing that we bless. It is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This evening, if you believe in Jesus Christ and are trusting in Him alone for your salvation, and if you have been baptized and you know yourself to be a member of the visible body of Christ, where this gospel is preached, then you will be invited to partake of this cup. This cup is a cup of blessing. And for you, it can be nothing but blessing. On the other hand, if you're here with us this evening, and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, that you have not been baptized, that you have not come in faith to Him and in repentance, or you are living openly rebellious against Him, though you may profess otherwise. I warn you against partaking because then it's not the cup of blessing. There are many who have imagined that partaking of the Lord's Supper somehow automatically makes them right with God. But Paul warns us against partaking if we do not have that proper relationship. But the two cups that I want to speak of this evening are first, that cup of blessing. And how wonderful that is. But we only partake of it properly when we recognize the price that was paid for that cup. 
And the price that was paid for that cup was when Jesus Christ drank that other cup. And what is that other cup? It is the cup of God's wrath against sin. And Jesus there in the garden is praying about that. I mentioned this morning in my sermon on wrestling with God that I believe that that Jesus here is wrestling with the Father. Now, how can that be? We clearly see from the creeds that Jesus indeed is God. If you'll, if you'll turn in the back of your hymn books, it, it's a creed that we, we don't recite together. It's a rather long one. The Athanasian Creed. Page 853. I want to read just a portion of it that deals with the person of Jesus Christ. They're beginning where you have line 29. But it is, is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. He is man from the essence of His mother, born in time. Completely God, completely man, with a rational soul and human flesh equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards His humanity. Although He is God and man, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by His divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to Himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of His essence, but by the unity of His person. So when we come to this passage here in Matthew, it it, it may seem strange to us at first to hear Jesus saying, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will.
I believe that God, in His essence, has but one will. But I believe that Jesus Christ, as the man God, not only did He have the divine will, and and I think it's important to say the divine will, not a divine will, There aren't multiple divine wills. There's one. But he had the divine will. He also had a human will. I used to think at one time, when I was younger, before I got proper theological training, that that Jesus was simply God the Son from all eternity dropped into a human body. Well, that's that's heresy. Because Jesus not only has a human body, but to be fully human, one must have a human soul. And He has a human will. Now afterwards, if you've got some questions of me, don't ask me how you put all that together. There's so many things in the Scriptures that are revealed to us. If we look at it, it's there, it's obvious. But as to how it works. But we see it at work in these prayers. Where Jesus is bringing His human will in line with the divine will. Jesus knew what the Father's will was. He was aware early on in His ministry and maybe even before that that He was going to be that sacrifice. That He indeed was the Messiah. But it was not a situation where he was looking forward to it. Because the one who was perfectly sinless was going to suffer on that cross not for his sins, but for our sins. There have been occasions when, when all of us have suffered for the sins of others. But what I'm here to tell you is that as a sinner, we realize that we're not undeserving of suffering. Sort of like my father used to tell us that uh, on occasion, he, when we were little, he would spank us for something that he thought we had done 
And then it would come out later that someone else had done it. And Dad would always tell us, well, that's for the one that I didn't catch you doing. But I believe for myself, it's impossible for me to get my mind around the idea of suffering for something I did not do at all and did not deserve at all. So when we see Jesus struggling here in the garden, it is because He is fully man, fully human. And you might say, well, Jesus never, never committed a sin. And that is true. But the Scriptures tell us that He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And that's another concept I can't get my mind about because I know what, what temptation means to me and why I fall to temptation. And as much as we like to try to blame it on the world, try to blame it on our family, try to blame it on circumstances, the reality is we know that the thing, the reason that temptation gets its hooks in us is because we're still dealing with sin. But Jesus had none of that. Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I've heard many explanations of that, and none of them have fully satisfied me. And I'm not sure there is the kind of explanation that would satisfy us human beings. But God had his purpose in all of this. Over in the book of Acts, In chapter 2, in Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he's addressing that crowd made up of Jewish people, some very well may have been in the crowd that cried out to crucify Jesus. But Peter boldly says to them in verse 22, men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men 
God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter says so very clearly there that it was God's plan and God's foreknowledge that determined that Jesus was going to die in our place. But the same God who willed that willed that the elect be saved. And if you are among that number, it is because of His will, not yours. In, in, in our coming to faith, sometimes we can be misled by the notion that we did something, we made a decision. But the reality is that God moves first. And we respond. We take our human will and line it up with His will because He, by the Holy Spirit, opens our hearts and minds to the truth of it. Two cups, one horrible cup of God's wrath, and one cup of blessing. In the book of Revelation, it's made very clear that that cup of wrath will one day be poured out on all the wicked. And they will have no excuse. And they will have no hope. But we have a Savior who died for us. And I think it's interesting in the Scriptures that Jesus doesn't ask us to celebrate his birthday. I'm not opposed to that, but he doesn't, didn't ask us to celebrate his birthday. What is the thing that he asks us to remember? His death. And, and we'll go on doing that until he comes. And, and why is it that we will no longer have this supper when Jesus comes? Because we will no longer need to take tokens and receive grace through these tokens of his sacrifice. Because we will have with us the very one who sacrificed himself. 
and we will set down to, at a table that will be, it'll have to be a lot bigger than this one, much greater than this one, because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the apostles will be present there, and we, we will be rejoicing with our Lord and Savior. Let's look to God in prayer. Father, when we see this picture that You have given us here in the Scriptures of our Savior there in that garden, shedding sweat with blood, realizing fully what He is to face on our behalf. We are left virtually speechless. We recognize that we can say nothing in our own defense. but only to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ and to recognize that in Him and in Him alone do we have the forgiveness of sins and acceptance with You. And so, Father, as we approach the table, may we truly remember the Lord's death on our behalf until He comes. In His name we pray. Amen.